Welcome back to another episode of After Dark Coast to Coast Killers. If you haven't followed us yet, and you actually have been enjoying, go follow us. We are on Google, Anchor, Overcast, Spotify, everywhere and anywhere you listen to podcasts pretty much. And it doesn't have to be limited to to your country. You can listen to us pretty much anywhere that you can in the world. This episode is going to viewer or have a viewer's discretion advised. This is going to be talking about murder and kidnapping of kids. Without further ado, let's continue. This takes place in Japan's Tashikiki and Goma prefectures along with the Ashikaga uh, prefecture area of Ata City. This originally does take place in 1979 but we don't have much to go on right now. Um, but this is going to include five cases of kidnapping and slash murder of kids between ages 4 and 8, all females four kidnappings and murder, one of the five girls in the five cases have never been found yet, but like I said, they occur within a 20 kilometer to a mile radius near the border between Chachikiki and Gumma prefectures, along with Ashikaga city of Tachiki prefecture. In 2007, Investigative journalists begin investigating similarities. These similarities should have been pointed out by the police, but the police, I guess, just want to push it under the rug. This journalist came across the Ashikaga murder case, which I'm going to quote unquote this, whoever you ask, and if they know the case correctly, this case has never been solved despite what a lot of people do say. Okay. At the time, the police had what they thought was the correct suspect. We're going to call the suspect Tosh. Okay. He had admitted, but not been charged with, two other murders at the time of this being forward to him. The journalist reported that he was innocent. Tosh was purely innocent. And all these similarities was the work of a serial killer or a serial kidnapper, whatever um, you want to call this case. The police did admit eventually afterwards after the journalist did find that he was innocent. They did admit that they were wrong. They literally brushed this case with improper investigation, false confession, and pretty much they contaminated the case and the investigation. In 
the journalist findings. These are the similarities. Once again, we got kids, all of them females, and all of them between the ages four to eight. Even though we haven't gotten this far, but four of them involved them missing from a parlor, then being found next to a river. Four of them had been missing either on a Friday weekend or holiday. And this is what connects something known as a serial case. If you don't know what a serial case is because you're new to this, in short, a serial case is based upon similarities within other cases. So for example, if I was a serial killer, okay, but I've committed 23 murders, five murders, actually all of them, I should say, never been solved or connected, but they really are because I killed in the same way, with the same weapon, the same location, bodies were always found in the same area. All these cases show that all these cases now become a serial case so because they are all connected in similarities. The same way that you would connect a serial killer and its victims to the similarities and patterns of behavior of each person, I should say. Now, I'm going to tell you that what the police did, if you haven't thought it, they were wrong. They, they, they were wrong. 100% to do this to an innocent man. And we hear it a lot in the United States. We hear it a lot around the world about police forcing a false confession out of a innocent person because they have zero tolerance, zero patience. They've spent six months already on a case, in this case, and they just want to get it done with. They want to ax the case. They want to be done with it. They, so they brush it as best possible to get a confession. A confession that they beat that they torture, that they manipulate, that they tire out the victim to get, not the victim, the suspect to get. We are not going to talk about the murders and kidnappings, including the case. I'm typically only going to see the first names, the years, and whatever information I can find. Let's start with the first murder. This happened August 3rd of 1979. Five-year-old Maya went missing while playing at a shrine near to her house in Ashikaga. Near Her body was found naked in a rucksack six days later abandoned next to the Water Ace River. 
I'm pretty sure I butchered that river's name, but who cares about the river? Okay, who cares? 1984, on September's, uh, not September, November 17th, 1984, five-year-old Yumi went missing from a parlor. Her body was found on March 8th, 1986, in a field 1.7 kilometers away from her home. September 15th, 1987, eight-year-old Tomoko left her house in Ota and went missing. Her body was found on November 27th, 1988, by the Tone River. 1990, we will probably get more into detail, was the murder and kidnapping of Mami, and this is the Ashikaga murder case. Um, 1996, kidnapping. Like I said, this is a case where this person has never been found, but Yukari went missing from a parlor. And once again, this is being treated as a disappearance case because she has never been found yet. So we don't know if she's alive or dead. As I've read it, you can see why this is now a serial case. Okay. It's not clear if the bodies were found the same way. It's not clear that they were all found in a rucksack, naked. But what is clear is that these were kids, that these were bodies found roughly in the same area, even then near rivers. That that's what also connects it. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same river, but a river really close to the location. But I want to point something out about the cases, at least after the 1979. So we got the 18, I mean the 1984 murder and kidnapping of Yumi. And then her body was once again found in 1986. So between that time, or shortly after that time, depending, like I said, depending, we, we have kind of a year almost span. Because in 1987, Tomoko went missing, and then a year later, she was found over a year later, I should say. Now, the reason that I do point this out is because serial killers, serial rapists, or uh, serial kidnappers, any serial person, will always have a cooling off period. Okay, with all the murders, there's a cooling off period. With all the kidnappings as well, obviously. Between the kidnappings and the murders, there's a cooling off period. I think the reason why there's only five is because whoever did this didn't really care. He didn't really have a thirst. He didn't really have a flame igniting inside of him that wanted him to do more than five. As we see with other cases, 
we can see that a lot of serial killers, rapists, whoever, have a strong blame inside of them that the longer they suppress, the more rapid, the more gruesome, the more not really spontaneous, but let's do impulsive for a better term, behavior. As the case that you probably did listen to last week, we noticed that in the beginning of the serial killer, they were so impulsive, so afraid getting caught that they did anything to destroy any marking on their body. They even dismembered the bodies. Then they stopped and then eventually they stopped altogether. I don't know why, I don't know anything, but in this case it's not like that. It seems like this person has everything under control. He wants to stay, he or she I should say wants to stay under the radar for as long as possible. Now let's talk about the suspect that the police thought was the culprit of this, but they did everything wrong. Um, Once again, since the official apology of the police, they have not resolved any of the cases, nor any culprit has been arrested. Despite the extensive media coverage and meetings in the Japanese diet multiple times, this was also addressed by then Prime Minister Nato Khan, who appealed to the police to solve the case. Security footage of the culprit exists from the 1996 kidnapping case, and eyewitnesses from the Chicago case have stated that he, re- he strongly resembles the man they saw. In 2010 and 2011, the journalists reported strong evidence that the perpetrator had not been, fa- or that the perpetrator had been found. Excuse me, including DNA test results connecting him to the Chicago case. 100% match to the results of the new test of the perpetrator's DNA and video recordings of him talking to young girls and making them sit on a slap and gave this information to police but for some weird reason they decided not to arrest him yet. Um, the reasoning given for the refusal to arrest the alleged predator, let's just call him a predator, let's not call him perpetrator, let's call him a predator. The alleged predator was that his DNA does not match the culprit previously found in the Chicago case. Let's just let, let, let's think about this right now. The DNA supposedly matches the man that the journalist has caught on to. But there's no arrest this predator is still on the loose. Uh, who knows if he's still doing the same thing? And I'm going to point this out whether or not 
it's already been pointed out by the journalists or it's in the case files. This guy seems to be a trustworthy man. He's the type of predator and serial killer and murderer, or serial killer and serial kidnapper is what I meant to say, that you can allow in your home because he's manipulative maybe, he is charming, he knows how to get along with the kids. And a lot of parents' eyes, maybe not nowadays, but at least a lot back then, despite parents teaching their kids, don't talk to strangers, don't let strangers in their home. This is the type of guy that they will allow in their home. This is the type of guy that the parents of all sorts, in and outdoors, would have trusted with their kids to even be alone with their kids, which is probably why this predator was able to kidnap five girls, was because the parents trusted him enough to leave him alone with their kid, and then they were missing. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm not saying these parents are shit. I'm not saying that the events that I just said played out. It's just a theory in the case. It's something that happens in a lot of unsolved cases. Theories are around. And it seems like there's not a lot of theories with this case or zero. So I guess this is the first, maybe, that I know of or you know of or your own knows of. That... This person, this man, this predator, this kidnapper, this serial killer, was trustworthy enough to be around kids and parents allowed it. I, if I had a kid, boy or girl, regardless, if any stranger that I did not know, and maybe if I did, because a lot of rapists, a lot of people like that, are close to the family So let's just say if I trust anyone with my kid or kids, and they were displaying certain behavior, really charming behavior, really trustworthy behavior, that is like, okay, this guy's good. And then my kid goes missing, I would make kind of a correlation be like this is the guy this is what he looks like this is what this is who you need to be looking for and I kind of find it weird that this guy's around kids people never had seen a problem with young girls sitting on his lap strange that despite even the parents being within watching distance that they couldn't say this was the man and like I said despite the DNA test coming 100% back 
YouTube uh, perpetrator, predator, <laughs> that there has no, there has been an arrest made yet. Um, the journalist professes that the DNA testing methods originally used in the Ashikaku case were flawed and that arresting the perpetrator would require the prosecutor's office to acknowledge this. However, the same testing methods were also used in another case, similar or less similar or not, in which the alleged culprit was executed in 2008, despite requests for new DNA tests and retrial, acknowledging that the testing methods were flawed that would eventually lead to a massive scandal around that case. Like the other case and the Ashikaga case, there was a possibility that he found a large amount of the evidence was doctored. And he concludes that it was the amount and not the quality of the evidence which led to the conviction that overturning even one piece of evidence would have caused the prosecutor's case to fall apart. Additionally, when the mother of Mammy was informed by the police that they were no longer investigating her daughter's case due to the statute of limitations, she requested that they return her daughter's belongings, but they refused to return the shirt, which has the true culprit's semen stays on it. They once again refused to answer why they did it. And the journalist suspects that this is because they are afraid that others might have the DNA of the true culprit tested by modern means, proving that the methods previously used returned wrong results. Looks like a lot of scandal, a lot of corruption. And by the way, I did not mention this, but Tosh was released due to this journalist findings in 2009, was retrialed, and was found innocent all of these cases. I don't know about the two that was already there, but he was found innocent in the other ones. But it looks like this, this police force is... Whatever they call them there, I guess. I don't know if it's divided like we are, but... It's corrupt. They're afraid, it seems like. If they're not afraid... They just don't care... About the kids there. I don't know since then if this guy that... The journalist supposedly is saying... That is the actual culprit is still doing what he's doing. I, I, I don't know if he's allowing kids to sit on a slap. I don't know if there's another case or cases that have popped up since. But if I was this guy, you know, which I'm glad I'm not. I'm glad I'm not a predator like him. I'm glad that, you know, he has the common sense at least to a certain extent with knowing when eyes are turned on him. And that's another thing, you know. If you're 
the center of attention in your serial killer, rapist, murderer, kidnapper, I should say, not murderer. But in that general area, you're your prime suspect at that point now. And you're doing things that you are being accused of. You kind of want to stay as slow as possible. That's actually, let's see if I can find anything else. I do want to... Oh, let's see. Yeah, as of 2017, according to Reddit, the killer who targets young children in Japan is still on the loose, so I guess they haven't did anything. Let's see. I don't want to write an article. I'm just looking at uh, other things. But I guess it's all to this case. To be honest, Kanto is a place in Japan. All these other places that one names are places in Japan. They're prefectures of some sort. But hopefully this guy isn't doing it. And I, I, I just hope that he isn't. Because if he has, he has a really great control over his urge of perpetration of young children, kidnapping young children, doing X, Y, Z to young children. He has a urge, but he can control it. That's what I'm saying. It's probably why there hasn't been kidnappings like this that connect, can't connect him. But anyhow, without further ado, if you like this episode, once again, you like any episode that you've listened to, you like this podcast, anything, follow us anywhere, everywhere. We drop weekly episodes. I'm in the process of at least trying to record up to three months worth of episodes that will typically drop between Fridays and Sundays, maybe. Depends. Always Fridays, though. Until new series will start dropping on Wednesday and Tuesdays. And we'll let you know when those dates are. Like I said, if I haven't already said it, go check out our trailers for our upcoming series. The first one is the Postmortem Files. And that is going to be released May 19th. And then the other one is After Dark Coast to Coast Long Haul Killers. That will be released May 28th. If you want to know more about those episodes, like I said, go check out those two trailers that I dropped today as of the 24th. We will have one final or one final trailer for each next month at the end. But until then, I should say, by the time you're listening to this, it will be the same month those final trailers are being dropped because I, like I said, I'm pre-recording and saving it on those dates that the episodes do come out. So by the time you are listening to this, this will be April 2nd, the 
final trailers will be dropping April 30th for Coast to Coast, Long Road Killers, and the Postmortem Files. Without further ado, I hope you do tune in for next week's episode on the 9th. We are going to be talking about a woman without a face. I don't remember anything about the case, but when I record it, I will remember everything. Probably for a while. See you next time on the After Dark Coast to Coast Killers Podcast.